You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. I didn't mean it. Words that we often speak or hear spoken to us after maybe we, we say something that was hurtful or we didn't realize exactly who we were talking to. Uh, maybe the person we were bashing just then, we realized, oh, my audience knows them a little bit better than I had anticipated. It just dawned on me. And so we utter something to the effect of, I didn't really mean it. These are almost uh, often famous last words in our conversation. But here's the thing. We did mean it. The things we speak, the things we communicate, even if we didn't have the exact inflection that we wanted or upon more reflection on our own lives and in heart, we'll say, I'm not really in that place. Um, but it did come from our hearts. It did come from somewhere within us. We're in week three of four of our mini-series on pastoral words. Uh, something we do at the start of each year. It just gives us a, a chance to kind of pull back and think again as we're entering into perhaps new rhythms or kind of reevaluating our lives as we step into a new calendar year, how do we orient ourselves around who Jesus is? How do we see him, see his grace, see his work, and then structure our lives in such a way uh, that we, we follow him more faithfully? Last week, Joel walked us through a greater view of and reliance upon the work of the Spirit in our lives. That, you know, if we're making plans, kind of anticipating what's ahead, and we don't have uh, the Holy Spirit in clear view, um, then we're missing what's most fundamental in our life with Christ. So I'm asking uh, a very specific question along a, a similar track, but saying, what does our union with Jesus and the life of the Holy Spirit produce in us? What does our union with Jesus and the life of the Holy Spirit produce in us? I've been stuck the past several weeks with this topic of speech, of our words, our communication, our language, how we show up with other people. If you think about it, many of the highest of highs we experience come from our speech. When another person looks at you sincerely and says, I love you. Or you think about a particular word of encouragement or strength, or blessing that was spoken over you from a parent, a mentor, a friend, or maybe a compliment that was given at just the right moment. It may remind us of the, the proverb in 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. But at the same time, many of our lowest of lows also come through our speech as well. Think about the news, social media. Think about our own personal wounds, our own stories, where, where words have been leveraged in a particular way to, to undermine and to destroy, where our relationships have fallen apart. As Dallas Willard has put it, the mouth is the main thoroughfare of evil in human life. The mouth is the main thoroughfare of evil in human life. I think this extends to the pen and the keyboard as well. Any, any kind of avenue where human communication happens is also given the ability of great destruction. And we Americans especially have uh, freedom of speech so baked into our ethos that, that we seem to, to miss out on what does our, our liberty in Christ, our freedom in Jesus call us to? Uh, to use our language, to use our words, to, to use this, this gift that God has given in human communication as a means of, of edifying, of blessing, of building up, of strengthening rather than tearing down. 
It's mentioned in another proverb in 1821, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. As a, as a leadership team here at Park, we've been working through uh, emotionally healthy relationships, the, the course by uh, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. And it's been excellent, really helpful for us, sparked a lot of good conversations and, and kind of reflection for us, even culturally as a leadership team. Like, what are we, what are we missing out on? What do we want to push into? But there are also these moments of great amusement in some of the, the teaching videos. Um, Jerry, so Pete and Jerry, this, this couple that have pastored uh, and led out in New York City for a long time and now lead this organization, uh, she is so obviously this sweet, godly woman, I don't know, maybe in her, her early 60s, um, just has like profound wisdom and insight. And at one point she was talking about a, a particular communication tool and comparing it to a hammer. And she's saying, you know, a hammer, uh, hammer can, can be used for great things. It can be used uh, to, to build a house. We're like, yeah, 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 build a house. Hammer's good for building houses. And then she looked right at us through the screen and said, and a hammer can also be used to kill somebody. We're like, Jerry, okay. <laughs> All right. Didn't know you had it in yet, but there it is. Um, you know, we're thinking, you know, something a little less intense. But, but this is the power of the tongue, the power of our speech. That it can give life, it can build up, and it can also tear down and destroy. So we're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, uh, to guide us into what God has to say about our speech. So I want to read that for us. If you guys have a Bible or a phone or want to grab one from the pew back in front of you, James chapter 3, starting verse 1. Uh, James is toward the end of your Bible, uh, just past Hebrews. Chapter 3. James 3, we're going to read the whole text and we'll work our way through it and then see how we meet Jesus in the midst of that. So James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. It has been tamed by mankind. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because those who use a lot of words are going to be judged with greater strictness. This is not the most exciting verse in the Bible for someone like me or those who do a lot of talking as a part of their occupation. 
Um, in fact, it's humbling. You know, it calls us to, to live and to dwell in the Word of God, under the Word of God, to seek the protection of it. Now, to go back to another proverb in 1019, it says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. It is so easy to sin with our speech. This passage is not just talking about teachers. Look in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. All of us are included. All of us are in view for James. But really when we think about it, consider how many followers many of you have on Instagram or other avenues of social media where people are kind of taking in aspects of your life, the messages you're communicating. You know, we may not all be influencers in the, the formal sense, though I know some of you are out there, uh, but we're all influencing. Now, even apart from social media, we just have relationships. We have people who look to us, people that we work with, people that are in our homes, uh, roommates and family members, children, spouse, uh, people we communicate with on a regular basis. Our lives are having a particular kind of impact. They're affecting those around us. And James says this impact, the effect of our tongues, of our speech, is way disproportionate to the size of it, that its impact is so much greater. He goes so far to say, middle of verse 2, that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, the word perfect here is a little misleading. It really has the idea of, of being brought to the uh, place of completion or fullness, like what it was intended for in the first place, being brought about. And saying, because sins of speech are so dominating and so easy uh, to, to have our, our communication get out of hand and, and kind of control our whole lives, if that is under control, then it demonstrates there is a, a complete sense of self-control. A couple others have said that since speech sins are the most difficult to stop, if we could stop them, then we surely could stop all the rest. Before we go any further, I want to I get behind a little bit of what James is, is implying with the tongue. You know, he says the tongue, it's kind of worked throughout this, this passage. I mean, here it's, it's used as a synecdoche, uh, which is a literary device, which is essentially saying it, it's a part for the whole. You know, it's like, a, hey, here's, here's one word to signify something so much greater. He's speaking of the whole of human communication, the whole of how we show up with people and how we interact. It was Albert Morabian, a researcher of body language, who first broke down the components of a face-to-face -face interaction um, between humans. He said that uh, communication is roughly 55% nonverbal, 38% vocal, and then only 7%, around 7% of the actual words that we're speaking. And, you know, the, the numbers have shifted a little bit. And I think more or less, many people, many scholars agree that around 90% of our communication is not the literal words that we speak. It involves other aspects of how we communicate. Now, don't mishear me. Words absolutely matter. Precision with words, definitions, the meaning behind them, behind them they, they impact people, they lead people, they do matter. But we need to own the reality that much of our communication, much of our speech, is how we show up with people. It's the overall presence and posture that we have in relationship to others. And how we do this has great impact on those around us. Well, James then demonstrates this through three metaphors. He gives three different pictures the first two, neutral or even positive, and the third, uh, definitely negative. So let's look at these. 
Starting verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I've been on a horse a handful of times, one of which was uh, when I proposed to my, my wife, uh, which probably sounds way more romantic than what it ultimately was, but um, horses were involved, um, and she did say yes, so it worked out decently well. So I, the times I've been on a horse, I, I don't, yeah, sure, there's a, there's a bit in the mouth of the horse. I don't feel like I had a whole lot of control. The horses were well trained. They just kind of stayed in line. They did what they were supposed to. Uh, if they did get out of hand, then like someone who's actually trained to do something about it will step in. Uh, but those of you who, who know horses, who like spend time uh, riding horses or training them or maybe grew up with them, uh, you understand the importance of the bit in the horse's mouth. Like how this very small thing is able to control the entire beast, like direct them in a particular way. Well, it goes on with another metaphor, verse 4. Same with a ship. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So here you have this, like really, relatively speaking, for this whole watercraft, like a really small piece that goes into the boat, the ship. And you turn it slightly, and it redirects the water just slightly, and it orients the entire ship in a different direction. Its impact is way disproportionate to its size. Now, generally, the, the bit for the horse, the, the rudder for the ship, these are considered you know, relatively positive things, like good things, like human developments, inventions that were made to, uh, to help us take a horse or a ship in the way that we want them to go. But again, um, our speech, similar to these, can be used for such great good. Think about a time when someone saw something good in you and they actually chose to speak it. To look you in the eyes and say, here's what I see in you. Here's the, the benefit or the value or the giftedness that you bring to the table. Recall a time when a person's words redirected your entire mindset or day or week for the good. Or have you had that experience when, when somebody, someone faithfully spoke the same truth to you over and over and over again because they knew you needed to hear it. It was hard to receive because of your own past or what you were working through or what you were battling, but they would come back to you again and again and speak that to you until slowly began to, to find its way into your soul. Think about the power of a Hebrew blessing from parent to child. Where they're, in many ways, declaring a particular destiny, saying, here are my desires from, for you, here's what I see in you, here's what I'm trying to draw out in you, you and here's the, the tra- trajectory of your life, given what I'm speaking, and how these words will take root in their lives. Our speech can be used for so much good, and at the same time, it can be used for so much destruction. Uh, many of us closely followed the, the Marshall Fire um, just, what, about two weeks ago. Yeah, it just swept through uh, just north of us. And I know some of you were directly impacted, or family or friends were directly impacted. I mean, we had, what, over a thousand structures, most of them homes, were, were utterly destroyed. Another, like, 200-some buildings um, were damaged, at least one loss of life, and over 6,000 acres were burned. It started with a little shed fire on Colorado 93 and Marshall Road. A little spark, small blaze, small barn that had a fire going. You can find the video, somebody caught it and posted it on Twitter. And then hurricane force winds carried that and led to such devastation, such destruction. 
Well, James knew this same principle. Look at me in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. One careless statement or word or verbal encounter can ruin careers, destroy lives, unravel relationships, undermine confidence, send people spiraling, and set destructive directions for people's lives. I think we've all seen that, maybe experienced it firsthand. Those with children must pay particular attention to this reality. These impressionable souls are just drinking deeply in the world around them, the voice that they hear from their parents. To use sarcasm or belittling, to to criticize and to to condemn, to undermine. And this harms them and, and, and flies in the face of God's posture toward them. To go back to Dallas Willard, he calls this condemnation engineering. Condemnation engineering, in which we use judgment and condemnation as a tool to extract kind of the right momentary response or behavior from somebody. And this is well without, you know, outside of parenting as well. And we use some form of condemnation in our speech to try to get people, try to manipulate them into, well, be what I want you to be, do what I want you to do in that moment. Some people, some of us comply, we go along. Others will push even more so against that, but no one is changed by that. No one is actually formed into a a more loving or receptive or virtuous human through this condemnation. We so often use speech as a manipulative tool to get what we want out of others. He goes on, verse 7. For every kind of beast and and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by Mankind. Now, I don't think many of us are, you know, going Tiger King and, and trying to get more wild animals to, to tame in our lives. We have a, a dog or, you know, a lizard or something. Um, but think about the other aspects of our lives that we, we try to get under wraps, right? Try to get a sense of control over. While work or business is going really well, finances are in a good place. I feel like relationships and kind of the things along those lines are, are, are feeling healthy right now. And I'm, I'm physically healthy or fit or like I engage in a lot of recreation. I feel like my life is kind of under control. But how's your speech? How are the words that you use with other people? Now sit down with those who, who know you in your most unfiltered moments. Those who are in your home or spend time with you when they get kind of the more raw aspects of you. Now what comes out? What, what is communicated? What flows from the heart? goes on in verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And we can seem to control so many aspects of our lives, presenting such kind of a nice, respectable front publicly, externally. And yet inside of our own hearts and homes, often our speech tears others down. It criticizes, it complains, it undermines And then in verse 9, James gets to the heart of the matter. With it, with the tongue, with our speech, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. From the same mouth come blessing 
and cursing. See, we can we have really good words and prayers and show up in the right places and say the right things with the right people before God. We, we are presentable in the right kinds of ways. Singing about God, saying true things, honoring him and how we speak about him or to him. But then we curse people. Those who remain in the very likeness of God. Who are meant to communicate aspects of who God is. We complain about them, judge them, snub them, demean them, curse them. James says this ought not to be, and in fact, with the next two metaphors, he says this, this really can't be. It really can't be. Like, this isn't the way that nature works. It's not the way that the human heart works. goes on in, in verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I have grown uh, less interested in soda or pop or Coke or whatever you want to call it, depending on what region of the country you're from, um, except, unless it's Boylan's. I don't know if you guys have had Boylan's before. Like only a few places in Denver carry it. Highly recommend it. The best soda. Um, yeah, I just don't accept arguments against it. Um, but I'll still run across those like spaceship soda machines before. Maybe like a movie theater or like a Noodles & Co. or something. Have you guys seen those? It's like you can get your cherry, limeade, pomegranate, diet Sprite with like a splash of Mountain Dew. And you're like, push all the buttons and, and there it is. Um, this, this is what we assume our, our hearts are like. We, we have like these different buttons we can push or like valves we can close and then open up and like, well, I'll show up in this way with these people and like speak in this way over here. And, and true, we can kind of get away with that for a while. But there's one source. All of that's coming from one place. We can't just kind of shut different aspects off and say, well, that part really wasn't me. That's not actually what I mean. What comes out through the mouth is what is in the heart. We may show up in different ways, in different settings, with different people, but each encounter, every time we use our speech, it puts our hearts out on display. Now, Jesus uses similar imagery in Luke 6.43. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what do we do? My speech, my mouth, often betrays me. Often betrays where my heart is, in my selfishness, and trying to, to use speech as a, as a manipulative tool to try to get things from other people, to get what I think I need or want in that moment. What do we do? I want to steer us back to verse 2 in this passage. For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways, not least of which is through our speech. We fail, I fail. Maybe for some of us, we, we need to like come to terms with that. Be honest about the reality that we, we fail, like we're deficient. We don't have what it takes in and of ourselves. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. If a person does not stumble in what he says, in his speech, in his or her speech, then that person is perfect, complete, 
not liking anything, but a full portrayal of what a human person is intended to be. Well, elsewhere, Jesus is spoken of as the word of God, as the the divine speech, the the divine revelation of, of, of showing this is what God most fully communicates. This is who he is. This is his heart toward us. This is what he declares to be true about us, about the world we live in about what it means to draw close to him, to find hope in him, to find life in him, how he plans to bring us back to himself. Jesus is this perfect man. Where we fail, where we cannot, where where our our speech attacks and curses, where we have such divided communication, Jesus is perfect in his speech. He spoke just what needed to be spoken when and how and to whom it was needed. And when speech needed to be refrained, he did that in just the right way, holding back his tongue based on the moment he was in. Look at me in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting verse 22. Just a, a few pages to the right. First Peter 2, 22. says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Able able to, to not fight back, to not use his speech as a weapon, because he entrusted himself to God who sees and judges perfectly. And then it goes on in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strain like sheep, but but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So not only is Jesus the perfect one, the perfect human, who demonstrated what it looks like to live as a human person, he also bore in his own body on that tree all of our cursing all of our wrong speech, all of our betrayals of our heart, all of the ways in which we have wronged God and others with our communication. And as he hung there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Compassion, grace, mercy, the opportunity to return to him, to experience his kindness, his forgiveness, that is what he offers He took the condemnation for our sinful speech. And now he offers us life in his own life. In Revelation 1, Jesus spoke to John, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. He is now the fountain of living water. He says, come to me. Come to me and drink deeply here. If we see the, the wrong kind of speech that's flowing out of our lives, we come back to the source of life. We come back to the one who causes us to be nourished and strengthened by what he provides. It says, dwell here, abide here, remain here, experience my speech toward you, my voice toward you, which is one of love, which is one of tenderness, which is one of affirmation of my constancy in your life, that I see you and I love you. Receive this, remain in this, and see how I transform you. Every painful, wounding word that's been spoken to you, he heals. Every condemning, manipulative word that you have spoken to others, he forgives. 
Every missed opportunity to speak well and rightly, he redeems. In every place you have needed a word rightly spoken to you, but didn't have it, he restores and he provides. And so Jesus beckons us to come to him, to return to him, to see him, and to experience his love again. Over the past couple of years, I've had a, a close relationship um, that's been really harmed by words. Um, you know, starting almost two years ago, a number of words spoken uh, to me that were harmful and wounding, but also my words were harmful and wounding and painful for this other person. And it, it created a, a fracture in that relationship, uh, even going months without communicating at all, kind of wondering what the, the future of that, that relationship would be like. I, th- I think all of us have felt the pain of wounding words spoken to us. We've seen the pain that we have caused with our own wounding words. My own story, uh, through the, the sweet, patient conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, just like a, a growing awareness and in, in, in some kind of God-brought uh, humility to recognize, oh, th- these are things I need to own. These are things that I didn't see in the correct way. These are things that I've, I've kind of been blind to and kind of assumed a correct posture, but in reality, I need to repent of this. And experiencing the kindness of God, there's been rich healing and restoration in this relationship. Even to the, to the point just recently, the words now spoken in this relationship, and in really a particular moment um, just a little over two weeks ago, life-giving words, healing words that, that, are, that are more and more marking this relationship that we're able to give to one another. Jesus gives us this opportunity. Earlier in James, in in chapter 1, verse 21, he speaks of the implanted word that brings about a flourishing, fruitful life in Christ that he intends for us. This implanted word, which is Christ himself, which is what he communicates to us by this word of God. Is this not what we long for? Is this not what we ache to see in our lives more and more? Words that are received, words that flow through us, words that are spoken, that bring life, that bring healing, that are consistent with what God speaks himself. And this is what we have in Christ, the life that is rooted in the true and the good and the beautiful. So I want to pray for us. We've got a few questions for us to, to sit on, but first I want to pray, um, and then we'll, we'll spend a couple minutes meditating on these, these questions. But let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are uh, the true word. I thank you that you are the the communication from God that that says this is who we are. This is the love that comes down uh, by God our Father. That you implant yourself within us um, to to speak life, to speak just a a knitting together the broken places, to, to, to bind up the places where we so long for you. And you usher us into a place of of receiving forgiveness, offering forgiveness, and also asking for forgiveness. That as we step into this new year, that we can can show up differently with people. That we can show up in ways that that actually convey the life and love and the kindness of the God that we serve and that we experience the the life of. So please help us. Help us toward that end. We just shine a light on the dark places, the places where we maybe keep areas uh, tucked away or hidden from your presence. I ask that you would, you would reveal those in your, in your severe mercy. Um, just bring those out 
into the light. May we experience your grace and in your presence by your spirit, uh, perhaps in ways that we haven't before. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Part Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.